three big names just came out in the Mueller investigation. Three big names. George Papadopoulos, Paul Manafort, and Rick Gates. We'll talk a little bit about that. I also need to talk about the dossier, the Steele dossier. The thing that kicked all of this off because there's a lot of question marks and gray areas around the Steele dossier. Gonna look at that. The current state of this investigation and more. So get ready and tighten your seat belts. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's Monday, October 30th, 2017, and last night I did get froze at work. I know those of you diehard, dedicated listeners were asking it in your head. I did get froze last night. It is 11.30 in the morning as we speak. Uh, That's just, that's the breaks. Sometimes you get home and only catch a few hours of sleep. It's not like you can force yourself to go to sleep. It's not like I could take a sleeping pill, right? Because that'd probably knock me out well past my report time for my next shift. It's just Monday sucks sometimes. I mean, most people think Monday sucks anyway. It's go back to work day. For me, it's Tuesday. But usually I get froze on my Monday into it. So, it you know, it is what it is. That's what happens. I get froze Sunday nights in the Monday mornings. It sucks. But enough talking about that, because there's there's a lot that we got to cover. I got to do it in a shorter amount of time. And breaking news just broke this morning. I mean, like, I woke up and here's the things on my cell phone just firing off. I knew that Mueller was going to, over the weekend, they announced that Mueller had indictments ready for Monday morning. Had indictments ready, which means that, d- despite what I'm going to say about the Steele dossier and things of that nature... There was something found that can bring on charges. That's that's pretty freaking significant because we've been sitting here talking about f- fake news, fake news, Russia, fake news. Maybe not so fake news now. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's do this the typical way that I do this stuff. So there was, of course, you know, the course of my weekend. You know what I did? Over my weekend, what me and my wife did over the weekend, okay? I'm off on Fridays and Saturdays. I told you about the the, the cluster of weddings that we had to do. And some of of our weekends have been filled up with doing um, rather elaborate things. You know, the fun stuff. It's been fun-filled, fun-packed weekends. So this past weekend, we had literally nothing planned. What did we do this weekend? Oh my god, we had... A throwback to our, like, 18, 19-year-old selves. Actually, for her, it would be she was 18 and I was 21. Thereabouts, yeah. That's when we started dating and stuff uh, and living with each other. We had a throwback to those days where, literally, we played video games from dawn till dusk and drank and did all that fun stuff. Like, literally, I didn't indulge... In one bit of politics over the weekend, because I just I couldn't. I needed to take a break. Last week was actually ch- uh, chopped to the brim 
that's not even a, an expression. But it literally was jam-packed with a lot of politics. I watched, for example, last week, after the podcast, after I did the podcast, I watched CNN has been doing these debates between Ted Cruz and Bernie Sanders, of all people. Why, I don't know. Because one of them, Bernie Sanders, comes off as likable until you really listen to what he's saying, and then you just realize, oh my god, I can't, I can't stomach this anymore. And Ted Cruz... Eh? He's Ted Cruz. They have some interesting debates, though. Uh, CNN had their debate about health care a couple of months ago. And within the last couple of weeks, I can't exactly remember when it was over taxes. And it was a very interesting watch. I implore you to go on YouTube and pull it up and sit through and watch it. I think it was like an hour long or so. Definitely watch it because Bernie Sanders is that type where I could I can't I don't know how you could possibly respect Bernie Sanders for I mean he doesn't give the straight answer anymore. This was Bernie Sanders during the debate on CNN with Ted Cruz over taxes. It was um look, I want a tax cut for everybody. I want I want taxes cut it for everybody. The middle class shouldn't be paying uh in extraordinary taxes. Uh, uh Absolutely, I believe there should be a tax cut for everybody. Okay, and then it would be Ted Cruz would go, Okay, but Bernie, don't you want X, Y, Z? Like, you want your tax plan when you're running for president called for a $13.1 trillion increase in tax revenue. And if we took every single dollar from the top tenth of 1% that you're ragging on, if we took every single one of their dollars, we don't even make a quarter of that $13.1 trillion. So... Where are you going to get it from, a.k.a. you're going to get it on taxes being raised on the middle class. At which point Bernie said, okay, you know what, you know, uh, good point, Ted, uh, but uh, in Denmark, if people want child care, the, because they get taxed at uh, out the wazoo on their income, meaning that they get much, much less income than they do here, they can get daycare at only two to $300 a month. Instead of two to three hundred dollars a week, so you know, uh, do you want cheap childcare? That's the you know, do you want virtually free childcare? Well, it's not virtually free. You're still paying for it. Not only that, you pay for it twice. You're paying in taxes and you're paying an additional because your taxes didn't eliminate the cost; it only lowered the cost, which means you just exchanged money from one to the other, meaning that you did nothing. You accomplished nothing. That is what the entire debate was. It was Bernie Sanders saying, yeah, yeah, uh, I, I want a tax cut for everybody, but um, in order to get all this free stuff, which there is no such thing as free stuff, mind you, everything needs to be paid for, and we pay for it by taxes. So you can get your taxes raised, but then think about the virtually free child care, the, 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 the free health care, the free college, uh, uh, tuition-free college. He kept saying free, but not free, contradicting himself. He didn't want to stand up there and say, listen, I want to tax the bejesus out of you, and then you can get all this stuff at a discounted rate because the government's in charge of it. That's what it was at the end of the day. I watched that debate, and it was just funny. But watch it. But taking an hour of your day to listen to something like that and watch it, that's a lot. On top of the fact that I was still listening to my radio shows and my podcasts, Still doing my podcast, still doing my blog, which, by the way, fritzcast.wordpress.com. 
has a brand new blog about my political evolution, and it's a long read about what spurred my interest into politics to begin with, who my first favorite politicians were, what my ideology was then versus what it changed to versus what it is now. It's a nice little article about my political evolution, and I'm sure some people can relate to it. So fritzcast.wordpress.com for that. But yeah, over the weekend, played video games all day. Literally, Friday I went out and picked up this Assassin's Creed Origins, which I love the Assassin's Creed games. I remember buying the first Assassin's Creed game, which, to some people's surprise, came out in 2007. That's 10 years ago. And you can go back and try to play Assassin's Creed 1 if you've played all the other Assassin's Creed's since then, it's hard to play the first one. But it's also it's a major throwback. But I remember playing the first Assassin's Creed thinking, this game has a lot of promise and potential. It wasn't a masterpiece, but it had the potential. Then Assassin's Creed 2 came out, and they blew one out of the water. And they made probably what is the best game of the entire saga in Assassin's Creed 2. There was also a whole bunch of branch-offs from Assassin's Creed 2 that involved that same character, Ezio Auditore di Frenese. Uh, I've played a lot of them. I've played one, I've played two, I've played three. Three was probably my favorite because of the American Revolution ties. I didn't like how it ended. I didn't like where the storyline went by the end of the game. Uh, still played Black Flag and love Black Flag. Uh, bought Assassin's Creed Rogue at the same time that Black Flag came out. That was a couple years ago, but I never played it. Getting to that in a minute. After Black Flag, I really didn't play anything. Um, Assassin's Creed wide, I did. We we got we bought Unity. Didn't really play it. Bought Syndicate. My wife played Syndicate. Uh, I didn't though. Origins picked up. Started playing. Loved it. Loved a lot of the changes. A lot of the different progression. I don't know how it's going to tie into the overall Assassin's Creed story. I feel like they drop dropped the ball and it's a weak point now because I feel like they just pick a new era and poop out a game with that historical era settings. So it's a different feel, a different refreshing game. But the gameplay and mechanics are still baseline the, the same. You're sneaking around, you're getting information, you're looting stuff, and you're killing people. That's the base of Assassin's Creed. It's just like the scenery changes now. Maybe it ties in. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But literally, when I say that's what we did over the weekend, that's what we did. I bought it Friday. I played it until she got home. She played it the rest of the evening. And I pulled out the small TV into the living room, hooked up the PlayStation 3, and started playing Rogue, which is now becoming my new favorite. It's really... Isn't it weird... I just bought a 2017 Assassin's Creed game. Here I am playing one from 2014 or 15 maybe a couple years ago that I didn't get to play on a last-gen system, and I'm loving it. That's totally weird to me, but I love storylines and different things. So, if you're ever wondering, like, wow, does this Fritz guy ever not have a life? Yes, I do. I had no life over the weekend. It was literally playing video games all day, and I loved every minute of it. And considering that I got froze last night into this morning, (laughs) I'm glad I did. 
I'm really glad I did. Work would be so much more fun if they just put an Xbox in there, and if you got froze, you could just play Assassin's Creed for half your shift. That's a dream world, though. That's a pipe dream world, and it's not going to happen. So, diving into the news now, as I said, we've had some indictments and some some, some breaking uh, intel, news, whatever you want to say. In the Mueller investigation, uh, former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort was indicted just earlier today, literally just hours ago, on charges that he funneled millions of dollars through overseas shell companies and used the money to buy luxury cars, real estate, antiques, and expensive suits. The charges against Mr. Manafort and his longtime associate Rick Gates, who also surrendered to the FBI this morning, represents a significant escalation in special counsel investigation that cast a shadow over Mr. Trump's first year in office. Separately, one of the early foreign policy advisors to Mr. Trump, to his presidential campaign, George Papadopoulos, pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI about a contact with a Russian professor with ties to Kremlin officials. So we have three individuals in the Trump campaign all seemingly in trouble over something uh, in regards to the Mueller investigation. Um, I'm reading from... The New York Times, of all places. Uh, The special counsel, Robert S. Mueller III, was assigned in May to investigate whether anyone close to Mr. Trump participated in a Russian government effort to influence last year's presidential election. Monday's indictments indicate that Mr. Mueller has taken an expansive view of his mandate. The indictment of Mr. Manafort and Mr. Gates makes no mention of Mr. Trump or election meddling. Instead, it describes in granular detail Mr. Manafort's lobbying work in the Ukraine and what prosecutors said was a scheme to hide that money from tax collectors and the public. The authorities said Mr. Manafort laundered more than $18 million. Mr. Gates is accused of transferring more than $3 million from offshore accounts. The two are also charged with making false Statements. Quote, as part of the scheme, Manafort and Gates repeatedly provided false information to financial bookkeepers, tax accounts, and legal counsel, among others. The indictment read. So, I mean, that's 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 kind of breaking news. Now, here's the thing. I wanted to talk about the dossier a little bit, and I wrote this little bit up on the dossier. Um, there's a lot going on with the Mueller investigation. Obviously, three big key Trump, well, not key, but three big name Trump, former Trump advisors and and campaign handlers, all indicted in the investigation today. Uh, But there's there's a lot going around, and it's opened up a lot of question marks on the Steele dossier now. Uh, The the Steele dossier, and a lot of the information that I'm getting, that I'm reading now, has been compiled from the Washington Post, PolitiFact, The Hill, uh, The New York Times. And so on. Uh, the the Steele dossier, in and of itself, if you don't know what that is, it's a collection of 17 memos revolving around alleged Trump and Russia relations. That was compiled and maintained by former British intelligence officer Christopher Steele. I'll explain how he comes into the picture in a minute. All right. Uh, you've probably heard a laundry list of accusations revolving around this dossier that included being funded by anti-Trump conservative websites, 
Hillary Clinton herself, the Democratic National Committee, and ties with an organization called Fusion GPS. Uh, this all becomes very muddy, complex thing to look at, and rightfully so. We live in the digital age where information is costly, and so is playing a dirty game of politics. And that that's a big key here. Dirty game of politics. This is just a lot of the stuff that we're going to go over with this, including the paying of information, opposition funding and research. A lot of it is just part of the game of politics today, and it's, it's sad to say that that is the case. Uh, before picking apart who funded what and what information was found, can we please begin with the fact that every single solitary piece of information in this touted dossier is, in fact, unverifiable information? The Washington Post, uh, the, the Washington Post reports that the memos are, quote, written as raw intelligence based on interviews Steele had with unidentified Russian store sources, for example, identified as Kremlin Insider, some of whom he paid for the information. Raw intelligence is essentially high-grade gossip without the expectation it would be made public unless it is further verified, end quote. Listen to that right there. This is the Washington Post, of all places, telling you that raw intelligence and most of the intelligence gathered in the Steele dossier is information from sources that will remain unidentified that this intelligence officer had to pay for, which already makes it a little sketchy in my book. But maybe, maybe maybe I'm just a little paranoid, I don't know. This key piece of information, the, the, the key piece of that, this is unsubstantiated, is seemingly tossed out the window when you hear the talking heads commenting on it. The New York Times, of all sources, stated, quote, There has been no public corroboration of the salacious allegations against Mr. Trump, nor of the specific claims about the coordination between his associates and the Russians. In fact, some of those claims have been challenged with supporting evidence, end quote. So what do we have in this dossier? We have this big compiling of unverified, unnamed sources, and people are chomping at the bit to utilize this as key investigative material for preparing to crucify the other side. Then comes in the question of the money. Who funded this? this is, the other big argument you hear going on back and forth between all the talking heads and commentary and political satire and whatever whatever else you want to look at. Big arguments going on about who funded this dossier. Where did the money come from? Well, the reports show that the initiator of funding Fusion GPS, which is a uh, information-gathering organization, to compile research on Trump was actually conservative website Washington Free Beacon to compile research on then-candidate Trump, as well as a few others. It's said that the person that did the primary funding was a conservative who was against Trump becoming the party's nominee. Okay? This is opposition research, and it was later picked up and fueled by Hillary Clinton and the DNC, meaning that after a while... 
Clinton and the DNC went to Fusion GPS and said, hey, um, we're buying your services and we want information. Uh, the Washington Post covered this story, providing linkage from Hillary Clinton and the DNC to Mark Ilias and his law firm, Perkins Coie, which in turn helped maintain and manage funding to Fusion GPS. Does any of this sound easy to track to you? Because to me, it doesn't, which makes sense. You don't want a clear path of where all this money and how all this stuff works. Let me revisit the Washington Post who stated, quote, The memos, among other things, allege Russian government had been seeking to split the Western alliance by cultivating and supporting Trump and also gathering comprom compromising information or compromat on him in an effort to blackmail him. The memos, among other, among other allegations, sorry, claim the Russian government fed the Trump campaign, quote, valuable intelligence on Clinton. End quote. That, by the way, would allege that Trump is sort of a victim. That's something that I alleged could be an angle that people didn't want to look at because, you know, because Trump bad. Uh, so just keep that in mind. Um, this seems rather telling to me, as I expressed weeks ago on my blog, fritzcast.wordpress.com, uh, I titled it, The Ugly Truth, Russia Exploits Us All. The fact of the matter is this. Both sides are trying to nail the other to the cross, all the while Russia gets to lick its chops and enjoy a front-row seat to madness. The common link is that Russia doesn't even care about favoring one or the other. Russia cared about favoring itself. This has been evident in the fact that Russia was known to be prodding with hacking into U.S. systems. Russia is alleged to have done nefarious dealings purportedly in favor of Trump. Russia bought ads and pushed divisive ads from both sides of the political spectrum on social media websites. Russia wanted to fuel a divide. And they did. Not brilliantly, either, mind you. They banked on stupidity and passion, and stupidity and passion won. All of this is part of the Mueller investigation, whom, on this very day, intends to, and maybe already has by the time of this podcast, announce the first indictment, meaning that Mueller has scrapped together something, but what it is is unknown, except I did just break that to you. This is what, this is what running a podcast is like, by the way. I wrote this up last night on a break period at work, doing a lot of different research on it, this this was looking at, like I said, multiple news sources. The Hill, PolitiFact, uh, the Washington Post, the New York Times. Um, a lot of it. And reading it can be mind-numbing. And looking at, look, looking at the information itself. Just where the money came from. Like, there was a story that broke last night. Uh, I want to say around 8 or 9 o'clock at night. About President Obama having donated money to the law firm. That law firm of Mark Elias and Perkins Coie. Something about Obama donating nearly a million dollars to that company, which was managing Fusion GPS and lots of question marks about 
did President Obama at that time know what was going on? And did he know, did did this information about, did, did Fusion GPS gather information? Did he know that information at that time? Did he use that information to put a tap on any of the Trump people for government surveillance of it? You know, there's lots of question marks stem from it. Same thing with the Uranium One deal. Because we have this Fusion GPS stuff here. Then we have the Uranium One deal, which seems to be a conflated story of nothingness. With people trying to make the attachments to uh, to Hillary Clinton and the DNC and making it, uh, making it a, a focal point and trying to... It's a pissing contest. Do you guys see how bad the pissing contest gets? It's a little crazy. And it's still something in my mind that's very muddy <laughs> and totally overshooting the main point. The main point being Russia did something. They wanted to fuel a divide. They've been pretty successful at doing it. But instead of looking at that angle, everybody just wants to say, but but Clinton's more guilty or Trump is more guilty. Like, does it really matter if both parties are guilty now? <laughs> or if both parties were affected, does it really matter? Does it really matter the conversation we're going to have about it? Because Russia's just sitting there going, good, good, good. The Americans are uh, the, the Americans are at each other's throats. It's amazing. That's probably what they're doing. Honestly, at the end of the day, because what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to them? Whew. Among some of the other stories going on, because I am, I'm, I'm so I can't. There's so much breaking on this as we speak that I can't really focus on it. Like, just just some of the headlines that I want to throw out there. There was a... It's Halloween time. So now we get the uh, the typical check your children's candy for razor blades and, and needles and all this other jazz. Which, as you... As, as everybody has grown up, me now as a you know 28-year-old man who doesn't have a kid yet... You know, if my kid went, if I had a kid and took him trick-or-treating, yeah, I would check their candy just because, you know, we're going at strangers' doors and getting candy. The whole needles and razor blades and candy thing, uh, it's kind of been debunked as a, a, a supreme, supreme rarity. An old wives' tale, an urban legend, uh, or as parents would say, shut up, that's what we did so that we could steal some of the good candy out of Probably that latter one. <laughs> I know I did that with my nieces and nephews. Ah, oh, let me take a look at your candy and make sure that nobody uh, shoved a needle in there. Is that to say it's never happened? It has, but not at not at a wide scale to the degree that it sparked up a national campaign to check your children's Halloween candy. <laughs> not at that level. This year, it's that people are going to spike the candy with marijuana. That's right. They're gonna they're gonna dope up your kids with weed, and, and which, by the way, let's just take a step back. Um, that's ridiculous. Really, that is su- that's supremely ridiculous. Who would waste so much weed, sprinkling it in candy to give to children? Who who would do that? Who would do that? All right, I don't even smoke weed, and I can tell you that somebody who has weed isn't gonna be like, you know what, bro? 
I'm going to stuff it in candy so that all the kids can get hooked on the weed. No, they don't say that. They say, they say this is my freaking stash and I'm going to smoke it or bake it into some brownies for myself. I'm not going to give it out to kids freely. Just, nobody, nobody. So now there's a scare going on about the about the candy might be marijuanaized. Which, you're living in a dream world. That's something that people would probably want. Like, oh, I can go door to door and get candy and it's laced with weed? So you can get high while you're eating your candy and continue with your munchy munchies. So controversial. Now, speaking of controversial, another story that broke over the last week uh, that you may or may not have seen. How about Corn Pops? Corn Pops, the, the breakfast cereal of Corn Pops, which Kellogg's was forced to apologize for. What, you don't know the details of this? Okay, I will tell you the details of this. A man by the name of Saladin Ahmed, a writer, an American science fiction and fantasy writer and poet, also probably most notably for being the author of the Black Bolt series from Marvel Comics, which I have never heard of. Uh, he took to Twitter on October 24th and took a picture of the back of his Kellogg's Corn Pops box, stating... Hey, at Kellogg's US, why is literally the only brown corn pop on the whole cereal box the janitor? This is teaching kids racism! That's what he said, which caused a big controversy over Twitter, in which Kellogg's had to apologize, pull all these boxes of cereal, and fix the incredibly evil error of their ways. Now, now I want to point out too. Okay, this box of corn pops. Okay, now mind you, the janitor corn pop is notably darker than <laughs> than the other corn pops. It is notably darker. Um, however, he is also the only corn pop dressed. None of the other corn pops are dressed. They're all naked on this box. At least it appears to be that they are naked. Um, so you have happy, smiley, darker, darker corn pop cleaning as the janitor. But somebody took the time to look at the cereal box to point this out, saying that this is teaching our kids racism. Now let me tell you something about kids and cereal boxes. They don't look at them. I never looked at a cereal box when I was a child. I just wanted the cereal. It's the that that's funny thing. I mean, shoot. I'm looking at the back of this box. I'm like, why would anybody look at the back of this corn pops box anyway? It's a little ridiculous, but the fact that a whole Twitter campaign um blew up over this. Oh my god. Oh my god. Because cause there aren't bigger things going on in the world right now. And I I sincerely doubt that this Corn Pops box was a sign of blatant racism. I really, I really don't. I really don't. And then, this was the icing on the cake right here. He tweeted, he later tweeted, um... 
quote, today I used the computer in my pocket to get a cereal company to make their boxes less racist. What even is the 21st century? Well, no, no. I, I, I sincerely doubt that your crusade worked out that way. It, you, you made a mountain out of a molehill. About probably something that was completely unintentional too, or maybe the artist that made the corn pops box, maybe he is an easy bit racist. I don't know, but I, I and, and unless he took a picture of it, uh, unless he took a picture of it and took to Twitter and made mention of the slightly darker corn pop being a happy janitor on the back of the box, being the only one. And that's teaching our kids racism. I have yet to meet a child who has picked up a cereal box intently and stared at everything and been able to pick out and go, huh, yeah, you know, the only dark corn pop on this box is a, is, 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 is it's a slightly darker one and he's a janitor. And what, what, what's, what's furthermore is that I'm probably perpetuating other things because I keep referring to that corn pop as a he. It might be a she. I don't even know. I don't even know in this day and age and I don't want to know and I don't want to know what ruffle what what feathers I just ruffled I probably caused a huge stir my podcast is going to be taken off the air now and I'm going to be sued more than likely but it is what it is but you want to know real controversy okay this goes back to the Harvey Weinstein power for Hollywood stuff there was some breaking news just last night from actor Anthony Rapp, who claims that nearly 30 years ago, when he was 14 years old, okay, 14 years old, 1986, he's accusing Kevin Spacey of making an advance towards him when he was a teenager. Kevin Spacey took to Twitter. Okay? And mind you, Kevin Spacey is an actor that I that I like. I truly do like, or, or did like Kevin Spacey as an actor, but here we go. This was Kevin Spacey's response on his Twitter, and it's a picture, mind you, because it's a, a big statement. So he must have typed it out and screenshotted in Word his statement, and it says, quote, I have a lot of respect and admiration for Anthony Rapp as an actor. I'm beyond horrified to hear his story. I honestly do not remember the encounter. It would have been over 30 years ago. But if I did behave, then, as he describes, I owe him the sincerest apology for what would have been deeply inappropriate drunken behavior. And I am sorry for the feelings he describes having carried with him all these years. This story has encouraged me to address other things about my life. I know that there are stories out there about me and that some have been fueled by the fact that I have been so protective of my privacy. As those closest to me know, in my life I have had relationships with both men and women. I have loved and had romantic encounters with men throughout my life, and I choose now to live as a gay man. I want to deal with this honestly and openly, and that starts with examining my own behavior. Kevin Spacey. What? What? What is that? What is that? This has caught a lot of flack on Twitter because some of the news spun it almost immediately as Kevin Spacey comes out gay. 
Not mentioning the whole possibly molesting a 14-year-old boy. Or inappropriately advancing towards a 14-year-old boy. Even if it was 1986 and 30 years ago. It's as if this story broke and, and Anthony Rapp says this bit. And they go to Kevin Spacey and they're like, Hey, uh, Kevin, how do you reply to this? And Kevin goes, uh, uh, um, I, I was drunk, but uh, it's okay, I'm gay. I'm gay, everybody. What? This is what Anthony Rapp told BuzzFeed News. Okay? He said that Spacey, who at the time in 1986 was a fellow Broadway actor, uh, invited Rapp to his apartment for a party. Later in the evening, Spacey, who was then 26 years old, so 26 and 14, uh, allegedly picked Rapp up, placed him on the bed, and climbed on top of him, making a sexual advance. Quote from Anthony Rapp, He was trying to seduce me. I don't know if I would have used that language, but I was aware he was trying to get with me sexually. Rapp recalled he pushed Spacey off of him, went to the bathroom, closed the door, thinking, what is happening? He told Spacey he had to go home, to which he allegedly asked if he was sure he wanted to do that. Spacey released his Twitter statement, which I already read. But... The takeaway story. The takeaway story was, for a lot of news agencies, Kevin Spacey comes out as gay. And what, what, what point and purpose is it to reveal that you are that you are a gay man, and you are going to choose to live your life as a gay man from now on, when you are being accused of doing inappropriate things to a fourteen-year-old? Well, that's bizarre. That's bizarre indeed. If there's one revelation I've had from this, this whole Harvey Weinstein and now Kevin Spacey business, is that Hollywood is super fudged up. Which I kind of already had inklings about. But the fact of the matter is, there was a lot of gay people taking to Twitter saying, What the hell are you doing, Kevin Spacey? What the hell are you doing? I think anybody with half a brain could tell you that if you're going to come out as gay, the time to do it probably isn't when you've been accused when somebody's making accusations of your behavior towards them when they were 14 years old and you were 26. And by the way, I must have been drunk. It must have been some drunken mistake. I don't know, but hey, but by the way, I'm gay. Like, that don't excuse it. That's the that's the best part, is that you can go to you can go to I was drunk. I was young, dumb, and drunk. And drunk isn't isn't is not an excuse, is it? Drunk is a is a choice that you made. Yeah, unless somebody slips something in your drink or whatever. You're like if you get drunk, and here's the thing too, I never understood this. I've gotten drunk a couple of times. Confession time. Let's talk, real talk. I've gotten drunk before. Okay, it's actually something that my mom consistently reminds me of. Hey, remember. The genes on the side of the family, alcoholism is, is a problem. And I absolutely take it to heart. 
It's I don't just blow it off. Um, I I indulge in some beers now and then. Um, my favorite drink of choice is whiskey. Not on the rocks because whiskey on the rocks is bad for your heart. So take the ice out of the equation and you're good. Whiskey's my drink of choice, and if if I'm drinking, you know, I make preparations like. I'm not going to drive a vehicle if I'm buzzed. Not going to do it. It's not worth losing my life or risking somebody else's life. That's what we call responsibility. There's also the fact that I know when I get drunk, I don't act like a jackass. I just don't. I don't act lewd and inappropriate and get physically violent or anything like that. I get to this happy little buzz point and it is what it is. But if I were to get drunk and do something, there's no excuse. There's no excuse to say, ah, I was drunk, though. You know, oh, the the guy, he didn't mean to plow into somebody drunkenly driving his car. He was drunk. So he didn't mean it. He still goes to jail for running somebody over in his car. You're still not void of the consequences because you chose to get drunk. So, coming out and being like, well, this is incredibly inappropriate behavior and I must have been drunk. Well, you still nearly molested a boy. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. Rape isn't rape if you were drunk. Totally forgot. Whew. So, (laughs) that's the standing for this week. That's where we stand as we speak. We have uh, the, 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 the Mueller investigation well underway. We have some indictments, uh, some some things that made people's heads turn. And you know what? Manafort's indictment at face value is about money. It's not about Russian intelligence, Russian ties, uh, Russian election meddling, per se. It's about money. George Papadopoulos pled guilty to lying to the FBI specifically over Russia and Russian ties. That's very telling right now. And mind you, that doesn't coincide or have anything to do with the dossier right here on my notes. So it'll be interesting to see what developments happen over the next week or the next couple of weeks as we go along. Now, I was just going to close out, but I remembered one more thing that happened over the weekend that kind of interested me except after the drop really big nothing burger that was the JFK file dump uh, in regards to the JFK assassination that Trump said we're going to unclassify all the documents which by the way wasn't a Trump call that was a congressional act passed many years ago that year after year gets delayed and pushed back and oh by the way not all the files got dumped because Trump came out and said, uh, apparently the CIA and the FBI want some stuff redacted, so they're going to look over that before it gets released, a.k.a. file dump was some kind of distraction, except it really didn't end up working out because, I mean, I mean nothing came from it. Nothing came from it. The One of the biggest conspiracy theory events in history is the JFK assassination, and continually... Things come out, and it just doesn't add up. The most 
interesting piece of information that came out of the JFK file dump was the UK receiving some intelligence that an assassination attempt was going to happen like 20 minutes or so before it happened. And J. Edgar Hoover wanting, having a statement of wanting to convince people that Lee Harvey Oswald was the only one involved. And I got to give myself props for saying Lee Harvey Oswald because all assassinators have three names and I usually screw up and end up saying John Wilkes Booth or something else. I usually end up screwing up the names somehow. Um, Lee Harvey Oswald. I didn't even have to look that up. <laughs> Just to say. So JFK file dump. Uh, did we figure out what happened with the JFK assassination? Don't know. He's still dead. He still was assassinated. Um, Nothing changed. Nothing changed. Big old distraction. Not surprising considering all the distractions that are going on right now anyway. Going to close out with a blast from the past music. My original theme song from bensound.com, Rumble. Guys, thanks for listening. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at FritzQS, F-R-I-T-Z, the letter Q and the letter S. Uh, on Facebook.com slash TheFritzCast. FritzCast.wordpress.com for my blog. Check it out because I already know you haven't read my story to libertarianism. And I'm working on a YouTube channel. More on that later as developments come. If you want to contact me, it's FritzCastPodcast at gmail.com or any of the other links I provided. Love, peace, chicken grease. See you next week.